going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Happy Monday, one and all. We are into the first Monday of the new year, 2019. Welcome to it in case you happen to be going back to work for the first time since the new year and Christmas vacation came about. Fun one. I mean, obviously I was here for some of it, which was also fun because we got to highlight some really cool stories over the Christmas break. We also got to talk a little bit of positivity, which I'm hoping to bring into the new year. You can head to 770CHQR.ca for a few more of, uh, I don't, I hate calling them New Year's resolutions, but uh, three things that I really want to do going into the new year. One, buy local, more local. Two is take more pictures because I feel like, especially going back for the holiday season and rifling through some old photo albums, we don't have that sense of nostalgia that we used to, uh, by the way. But it's one of those things that you want to be able to uh, look back on it and go, man, we had some great adventures. And certainly heading into uh, a year in which I'm getting married, there's going to be no shortage of pictures, but some of the other uh, events we're looking forward to. And then number three was to be more lo- uh, be more positive. And I'm not kicking things off on the right foot because we're going to talk politics and in particular anger uh in just a few minutes we're going to be joined by Dwayne brad from mru after five o'clock heather urex west from global news will join us as she's been diving more into the train derailments in and around southern alberta the one out uh, near field and then of course the one here in calgary and uh, a lot of different factors weighing in on that so we'll talk to heather about that and much more still to come this is calgary today on 770 chqr I've watched with great intrigue over the last few weeks as everyone knows we're ramping up to a provincial election campaign and the rhetoric from both sides seems to be the same. Hey, we're going to play nice. We're not going to be like the other guys. And then the next minute there's somebody on each side who's yelling and screaming profanities and everything else. And as I've watched different uh analysts look at the election and say this is going to be one of the nastiest we've ever seen and i go does it really have to be to answer that question and dive more into the idea of anger in politics we welcome to the program from mount royal university Dwayne bratt thanks so much for the time today Dwayne. good afternoon i'm gonna start at that point do you think this is going to be the nastiest provincial election campaign that we've seen you know, every election cycle, it seems that we're talking in those same terms, that it's going to be negative, it's going to be uh, nasty. And the question I would ask is, how do you define that? Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is, is it the uh, politicians that are being negative, or are there supporters being negative? And I think there's a qualitative difference there. And one of the reasons is through social media, Facebook and Twitter, ordinary Albertans get more involved in the campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so that's often where the nastiness comes from, through anonymous comments, through anonymous accounts. Uh, and then that just ramps things up, and then it gets into uh, into a cycle. So I think that's why things have have changed over time. Does does it hurt the situation even more that you're starting to see even those uh, non anonymous supporters 
starting to dive into that world negativity and starting to say, hey, you know what, we can be just as nasty as well, those. It's, it's, again, it's how do you approach this? So you often hear, for example, negative ads, negative TV ads, negative radio ads, and people hate those and they're never influenced them by them. Well, why do we keep seeing them? Mm-hmm. And we know through social science research that negativity works. Um, and as I mean, there's times that people cross the line and it backfires on them. Uh, but negative ads have existed, you know, for decades. And so, uh, of course, we're going to see that. So if, if advertising in a negative way works, why doesn't negative commentary work? We often say we're disgusted by it, but it has an impact. Well, and I, I mentioned off the top, I mean, all you need to do is look at how uh, Jerry Springer's ratings were, and I think you get a pretty good idea as to how many people actually kind of enjoy watching sort of the bozo eruptions and that kind of thing that come out of it. So I, I question, though, who stands to benefit out of some of this rhetoric? I'm not sure anyone benefits from it. I, I think you can disagree on policy grounds, um, and and I think that's fair comment. I think it's when you start to get personal or take shots that are simply unfair, that's when I would delve into to negativity um, and, and nastiness. So to say that I'm opposed to the carbon tax and I'll repeal it, that's not negative politics. Mm-hmm. That's a policy difference. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm not sure anyone benefits from it. It's how a tool that is used. And to say that it's only going to be from one side versus another. Same thing. So if the NDP wants to bring up past statements that Jason Kenney has made about same-sex marriage, for example, is that negative? Or is that just a statement of a fact? Do you think that the the extremes on both sides, whether it's those who think that the uh, left is fueled by Soros and company or the right? And, and I saw an article over the weekend about uh, the Yellow Vest campaign and how it's uh, got some some fascinating connections to it. it. Do the parties have to make sure that they divide themselves from the extremes on both sides? I think they will, um, and it's because extreme statements on either side of the spectrum are going to get covered, mm-hmm. right? Because it's new, it's novel, it's different, it's exciting, and so they will put the attention on that. Um, an example, you know, the, the one of the most famous recent example were the bozo eruptions in the 2012 election, which mm-hmm. really did swing the election from the Wild Rose Party to the Progressive Conservative Party. And I think it was less about the comments of an Alan Hunsberger or a Ron Leach, the individual Wild Rose candidates, as opposed to the lack of action taken by Danielle Smith, right. the leader at the team. I think if Smith had come out and had condemned Huntsberger and had condemned Leach, those stories would have died. But she didn't. And then that allowed statements from fringe candidates who are not going to win anyway, allowed them to represent the entire party. If you're somebody Just in the... Just like uh, uh, Berman, 
uh, is going to be tarred with the NDP, mm-hmm. even though the NDP has tried to disassociate her, uh, themselves from her. Every time she speaks against the oil industry, you know, um, conservatives are going to say, see, that's the NDP speaking. I was just about to mention her name off the top there because that was uh, that was one that I know a lot of people have really tried, especially those who are conservative supporters have been saying, hey, look at this. This is what you're going to be standing behind if you if you vote NDP yeah. again. Um, when it comes to those who are sitting in the middle, uh, how do you differentiate between the vitriol and the actual policy discussion? That can sometimes be difficult because you can be, as I said, opposed to a carbon tax, um, and but it's how you go about opposing it uh, that can uh, change matters. Same thing as you can defend a carbon tax. Um, in ways that are positive, but also ways that are vitriolic towards the other side. So a lot of it is tone, um, and often a policy debate can quickly get off the rails and, and become about tone. We've talked before about the the strength of the leaders, and in particular with Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney. And I, I get the feeling I know the an- what you're going how you're gonna answer this, but do you get the sense that those two are going to be able to silence those critics? I guess to make sure that they stay on brand and stay away from the the anger machine that seems to be rolling on both sides. Oh, they they have tried, um, and you know Jason Kenney has come out and talked about you know having a better position, uh, a more respectful stance in question period, and not to you know personally attack people. And 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 Rachel Notley has said the same thing, but. You're dealing with not just party candidates and party members and affiliated members, but supporters and other people just going in there and stirring the pot up. So does every comment from a potential nomination candidate reflect back on a party leader? You know, that that in a sense is a bit unfair. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. Dwayne Bratt from Mount Royal University. Appreciate the time as always, sir. Okay, you're welcome. What do you think? Are you okay with a negative, slanted election campaign? Or do you want to hear more? I I know it's not as sexy as a lot of, you know, political watchers. I'm one of them. I rather focus on policy, to be honest. I'm not a big fan of chasing the sound bites and going after the the news story of the day, so to speak. And that's something that I'm going to try to really... uh, hone in on as we get closer and closer to uh, the writ being dropped and then the actual election campaign is let's talk healthcare, let's talk education let's talk, I mean we, you can't avoid talking about those those issues, you know if, if another bozo eruption, if another, uh, if one you know a Zipporah Berman comes out and, and is attaching herself to the NDP campaign for example or if you have another Hunsberger issue pop up we're going to have to talk about it, don't get me wrong. But I think we have to talk about finances. We have to talk about jobs. We have to talk about education. We have to talk about health care. We also have to talk about social issues. Again, I, I know a lot of people don't like that, but I think that's something that's worth talking about. So are you okay with talking policy or are you wanting to see the Jerry, Jerry, Jerry over and over and over again? This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR.
plenty of questions needing to be answered after a couple of train derailments in and around Calgary over the last few days. Not only do we have the one out by Field BC uh, just a, about a week ago, I guess it was, uh, 15 cars, I believe it was, went off the track there. Also here in Calgary, we have, we're having the deal with uh, Alith Yards there. And to dive more into what they're working on in terms of some of the reaction and some of those pieces, we bring in uh, Global News reporter Heather Urex-West. Heather, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. There's a bunch of different facets to this story. And so let's start with the area residents. And what are they saying about this latest uh, derailment? Well, you know, I, we, I'm, I'm focusing more on the overall volume of uh, rail crude oil exports by rail. So um, we've had this derailment that happened on the weekend, but it sort of, you know, it gives us a chance to take a look at the bigger picture. So according to the National Energy Board, and, and these numbers are pretty uh, eye-opening, a year ago, we were Canada was shipping uh, just over 137,000 barrels per day of oil by rail. Fast forward a year, and we're shipping 327,000 barrels per day by oil. So that is an increase of over 200%, wow. which is just a staggering amount. So, I mean, we have this derailment. Fortunately, we there were no there was no leaks, there was no punctures, everything you know was good. But uh, what what could potentially happen? So that's what my story is looking at today. Mm. Okay. When it comes to the engineering side of it, I know you did talk to uh, to one gentleman who's kind of diving into that side of things. What did he have to say? Well, he basically said that, you know, you can put all of these other safety measures in place. You can make sure that the cars are safer. You can make sure that, uh, you know, these these things aren't going through densely populated areas. You can take a look at, at scheduling and logistics and you can take a look at speed. But at the end of the day, if you're increasing capacity, you are increasing the likelihood that something will happen. And that's why the literature, and we hear this so much um, with the political talking points too, says that ultimately pipelines are safer than rail. And and so that's something that we have to think about as we are putting all of our um, additional capacity to rail right now is that we are increasing the risk of something potentially happening just because of the, the uh, increased load. I also understand you spoke with Transportation Minister Brian Mason earlier today. What did he have to say? He was saying that, you know, this is something that they're obviously very concerned about. They would, of course, like to be um, seeing these pipelines come on stream. But here we are. This is what's what's happening. So he he says that uh, all they can do is just um, make sure that they're being as safe as possible. He talked about how um, those older style uh, tanker cars have been all almost all phased out. This is something that they're watching, continuing to advocate for pipelines. But... Uh, we're going to be just seeing an, an even further escalation of um, shipment this way. Of course, they're calling for additional cars to be purchased. Um, so, yeah, it's something that we'll definitely be be watching in, in the uh, months and years to come. And, and one thing that I should notice, when I spoke with the, um, the engineering expert out of Concordia University, I mean, their mathematical models are really saying, uh, recommending against the, the transportation of this, these dangerous goods through densely populated areas. And, I mean, you walk around Calgary, and, and I was putting to him, well, you know, here in, in our city, it goes right through the downtown. So this is something that uh, is 
potentially of major concern and something that we are definitely going to be um, having to continue to watch. Well, and I know it was a big issue back in 2013 during the flood when we had the, the bridge washout and a uh, train over there and it's all of a sudden back in the news again and especially, like you said, especially with uh, the expected increase in, in the travel, I'm sure this is going to be something that we're going to be needing to keep an eye on in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, Heather, I appreciate the time today. No problem. Thanks for having me. You'll be able to see Heather's story on the Global News Hour at 6 or hear it right here on 770-CHQR. The one side note I had on this story, and it's not something that Heather's answering in her story, but here's a question for CP Rail and CN. Are they ready to answer questions when derailments happen? And I ask that in the sense of you get statements out of them, but you don't get a whole lot more. And in a world where transparency seems to be a big word, you would think that being able to get statements or get people to come before a microphone or a camera to answer some of those questions about, you know, what was in the what was in those uh, train cars. You'd think that that would be an easier thing to do, but it's gotten harder over the years and talking to different reporters Whenever they're covering a derailment, it's like there's this closed off area that you can't go and talk to people about. And I think as we see this risk increase, I'm hoping that rail companies are starting to put their PR firms to task and making sure that their skills are up to par because otherwise they're going to get lambasted. Look at what happened with the oil and gas industry when you saw spills And you saw these areas where it's like, nope, can't go in there. We don't want to answer any questions. Sorry about that. Heck, I remember a uh, plane crash near Medicine Hat. This would have been over a decade ago now. But dealing with RCMP at that time, I asked, hey, where can I go to get some pictures? I was working TV at the time. And they wouldn't even tell me. They wouldn't even confirm that there was a plane crash. I had to drive out there and came across an officer. And they're like, oh, okay. Hopefully we don't get to that point with the rail officials. But you got to make sure that the communication's there because otherwise people are going to start asking questions and then the rumor mill starts. you got to get ahead of that. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. <music> Wanted to revisit a story from the last couple of uh, weeks here. Uh, former Councillor Brian Pincott deciding instead of taking a run at the MLA ship of Calgary Acadia for the NDP, he's stepping aside. And in the note that he posted on Facebook, he says, as I look ahead to the coming election campaign of 2019, I no longer have the confidence that I can give the 100% of me that will be needed. Many think that this will be the uh, nastiest, most bitter campaign in Alberta history, and I don't disagree. And this is something that uh, he has come to light over the last couple of years is his struggles with depression and mental health issues. And we wanted to get a bigger idea and bigger context on this. We bring in Dr. Brent McDonald. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Uh, give me your thoughts initially on the decision Mr. Pincott made from a mental health standpoint. Um, well, I guess when I first saw the post, because uh, I did see it show up on, on my social media, as most uh, Calgarians probably saw uh, up here on theirs, um, my first thought was, well, good for you. You know, it's uh, it's a tough decision, obviously, and one that he put a lot of thought into, uh, it would seem, from, from what he posted. Um, 
but I, you know, I think the fact that here we are on the radio talking about it, uh, talking about mental health, talking about depression, uh, suggests to me anyway that you know the the move for Mr. Pincott to make a statement including depression as a possible reason for his um, not want, not being able to or not wanting to run uh, again um, is is incredibly powerful and a very very positive mode. Uh, move for him to have made. I think it uh, gives the opportunity for a discussion, a broader discussion, as you mentioned, about mental health and mental wellness to enter the public domain. And I think that's really, really um, a, a powerful side effect of the message, not going beyond the political uh, decision, but getting into the, you know, the health of Albertans um, in general, I think is a really critical and uh, very positive move. And it's a difficult one to make in, in mm-hmm. regards to you're kind of putting yourself out there and then all of a sudden you're saying, listen, I don't want myself back out there again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, politicians by their nature put themselves out there that they're public servants. That's what they do. Um, but the nature of politics in 2000, well, 2019 now is that, you know, when you're putting yourself out there, you're putting all of yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his comments on the, the tone, I guess, of the, of the upcoming election, which, you know, is already very, very, um, I guess, negative, for lack of a better phrase, um, from what I'm, what I've been seeing, um, it's it's nasty. It's 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 personal, and um, I think it's a very wise choice for someone who um, can't give 100 uh, percent of themselves into that into that area. Uh, withdraw, um, but unfortunately, I think what happens is, or what could potentially happen is, is it's going to create a situation where lots of other folks might, who could be very very influential people in, in the world of politics, may think and give themselves second guesses about, you know, is this something I really want to do? Do I want to put myself that far out there? Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, I think from the standpoint of your, your ordinary Albertans, in a sense, is it does kind of give that idea that, hey, you can be, you need to take care of yourself first and foremost before you try to appease everybody else. Yeah, and there's always going to be people that you have to try to appease, but, you know, the the fact of the matter is we have to take care of ourselves. We have to set boundaries. We have to engage in really positive self-care. And we'll talk about that maybe in a moment, but, um, you know, recognizing that, you know, there is nothing wrong with self-care. Self-care is not a weakness. Self-care is a strength. Um, is is a mind shift I think a lot of people are probably still struggling with uh, because they see it well from a generational perspective certainly you know if you're having problems well just suck it up and deal with it and uh, that's not and we know this from scientific evidence that is not an effective way of of, um, taking care of your or other people's mental or any other kind of health. A lot of good lessons to be taken, I think, out of this. And, and it's uh, unfortunately don't have, we've kind of run out of time here, doctor, but oh, okay. uh, by all means, we're going to probably have you on before too long to talk more about this in a little bit more in depth. So I appreciate the time today. I'd be more than happy to chat. Thanks so much, sir. Dr. Brent McDonald joining us on uh, the, the recent announcement by a former city councilor and now former NDP candidate, Brian Pincott, saying that he won't be seeking election because of his mental health and depression issues. Uh, this is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. As I learned over the Christmas break is that it's great to share those stories of people who are doing things. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. Other times it's right out in the public and not everybody knows what it's about 
or who's behind it or what they're looking to do in the future. And one of those groups is they're called UMI. Now, they're an organization providing compassion, support, companionship to the sick in Calgary. And they're looking to uh, to expand. Joining us now with more on the program is Raham Sadiq. Raham, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Give us sort of the Coles notes on where UMI came from first off, but what has sort of fueled you guys over the last few years? For sure. So UMI, um, we started a, a couple of years ago now. The idea came to light. Um, it was actually a program dedicated to my late mother who passed away from cancer and another um, close family friends of ours, their mother as well. Um, and the whole idea was, is, you know, watching our loved ones go through those struggles, um, we learned one major thing. Even though you're going through something, you got to help other people. And those were things that our mothers really instilled in us. And we learned so many things that patients were fighting during their battles and whatnot in the hospital. So we said, you know what, we need to create a program to help families that are in these situations. What kind of help do you guys provide for those families? So we have a couple different program components, actually. Um, We have meal services. So we actually, um, if we have a family who has a loved one in the hospital, and, you know, when you're that busy with somebody in the hospital, you just don't have time to cook at home. So you can give us a call. We'll have a meal delivered to you, your family, um, within 24 hours. Um, We do things like companionship visits. So when I was in the hospital visiting my mom and dad, um, I noticed one thing. There's so many people who are alone for multiple reasons in life. So we have volunteers ready to go to just go say hi to these people who, you know, it's like, hey, my mother's in the hospital, but I'm away at work. Can you go visit her with a flower? And we'll send the volunteers to just go talk to them, brighten up their day. Um, we do things like spiritual guidance. So regardless of your religion, your faith or whatever, um, if you feel that your loved one in the hospital or you as a person who's supporting somebody in a hospital just want some sort of connection with the higher being, we can provide that for you, something very generic. And in addition to that, we also have more specialized services as well. Um, Next up, we do care packs. So this was actually the starting program of OMI. It started back in 2013 um, when we noticed our mother going through chemotherapy. um, There was certain like things that we noticed she needed um, as she went for those treatments, things like slippers, blankets, puzzle books, all these type of things. So we created a package um, to give to chemotherapy patients. That started in 2013, and that moved into our UMI program. Um, And now we also do care packs for things like chemo milestones. So when somebody's done X amount of treatment, happiness packages for people who are, you know, fighting depression and whatnot. And we've developed these care pack systems to just kind of bring a gift to somebody in need. And finally, um, we do beauty services. So as everybody knows, you know, when you're going through chemotherapy, you lots of people lose their hair, their eyebrows, and, you know, their skin color changes a bit. Um, in addition to that, we have people who are recovering from burns or from cuts, scars and whatnot. And sometimes they just need somebody to come in and help them feel better about themselves or better their appearance so that they are comfortable with themselves. So we actually have a onboard um, beauty expert um, who's trained in everything. And she leads programs and guidance in terms of beauty services for the patients. I'd and imagine. Kind of, yeah, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'd imagine that just that little ounce of positivity for them can probably make a world of difference. What's the reaction been to those who you've been able to help out? I'll be perfectly honest with you. It, it's the most humbling experience. I work 
I'm on the floor with my volunteers, and it's the most humbling experience to see the looks in people's faces when you go to them, just to even say hello. Um, we went during the Christmas break here, we went to the hospital, and we just went to families who were with their loved ones in the hospital, and the smiles that you see, just like, wow, we didn't know that people, you know, actually thought about us or this, these type of things. And we've even gotten emails from people who have received one of our, our chemotherapy packages, and they're just like, this was perfect. It's just what we needed to get through our battle. Just the idea that people out there are, are thinking of us and willing to get through things. So I can say we've had such amazing response and it really, really motivates us to keep moving forward. Probably the other thing, too, is it becomes a bit of uh, the, the thank you circle, right? Like all of a sudden, every those who are getting helped are saying, hey, this is the positivity that I got out of it. Now I'd like to be the your biggest supporter as well and be that, that vocal voice for you. Yeah, we've seen that in multiple cases where people have contacted us. We actually had a family not too long ago. Unfortunately, their, fa- their father did pass away from cancer, but one of the things they remembered through his battle was his chemo care pack and they reached out to us and said hey listen we want to donate x amount of chemo care packages help us do so and and they did that and also some patients who have gotten out and whatnot they're always looking to either volunteer with us provide support and whatnot so it's it's a growing network which we're happy to see but we really want to get the word out there to people who are facing these challenges here in calgary um that we're here and we're ready to help and we we encourage them to you know visit our website and all that to do that and our chemo care packages is actually going nationwide so if people know somebody in a different city we will gladly send out one to them i mentioned off the top that you guys are hoping to expand and you kind of hinted at it there what are you hoping to maybe accomplish maybe over the next year or two well over the next year for sure i want to see us grow well i set my sights big um i'm actually trying to work on a partnership right now with some um, people that I, some own it volunteers that I have in Ontario um, to get our stuff going in the Ontario hospitals. I'm hoping to go to Edmonton, Lethbridge. Um, that's my one year goal. But obviously, in the next couple years or up to five years, I want to see this program nationwide. Um, it's all about providing help. I, we don't want to see anybody going through a struggle like that think that they are alone because they're not. And that loneliness feeling is something that's horrible to face, and we want to eliminate that from Canada. If you want to learn more about this, ownitcanada.org slash UMI. That's O-U-M-I is where you can go to find more information on this program. Uh, Raham Sadiq, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and shedding some light on what you guys do. Thank you, guys, and have yourself a great day. Yeah, you as well. This is, uh, again, one of those programs that I think kind of flies under the radar because there are those who don't necessarily have the the family connections in town. They're going through tough times, that kind of thing. And to be able to provide that support for uh, for those people has got to be an amazing thing. So uh, amazing work being done by Umi with uh, Raham Sadiq. So uh, again, if you need more information on that, ownitcanada.org slash O-U-M-I is how you spell Umi. There. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.